you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 today, as we continue this series of messages about the absolute enlightening truth. Now, the reason that we need to know what truth is is because there are a lot of people trying to tell us what they think truth might be. They don't know. But from their experience, and we talked about objective truth, and we've talked about propositional truth, uh, as we consider those from Scripture versus the subjective truth or the experiential truth of those who come up to you, and they tell you what they think is true, what they think is right. So all this month, we've been looking at 1 John, 1 John 1 and 2, and then also 1 John 3 last week, and now in 1 John 4. We're trying to consider this idea of what is truth. What is the truth? And we've talked about how truth, it ignites the light. It is always something that is done in the light. Uh, There's no darkness to it, God says. And truth actually does bring us together. So if there's a message someone is sharing that's dividing or being divisive, it is not true. Truth brings us together. Uh, We talked about last week about how the, the truth... Um, uh, let's see, we, we ignite the light, it invites the love. So we talked about how uh, truth really allows us or it, it, it inspires us to love one another and it invites us to love each other, even love our enemies and pray for them. So this week we're here to this section where we're talking about how it inspires a listener and what John reveals to us is that when it is true, it really inspires us to do the best thing in our life and to experience the right things that we need to experience. And that's why we're talking about the absolute enlightening truth inspires the listener. So let's get the elephant out of the room. I know it's probably driving April crazy that I have listener in the background on some of these things right here. I noticed that this morning. And uh, there's an E missing. So just visualize an extra E up there. Or... If you want to believe in my subjective truth, that's how I spell listener, so that must be true, right? All right. So uh, that's just just in case it's driving you crazy. I am aware of that, and I have it corrected here on my my paper today. How do we figure out what is best in our culture? How do we figure out what is true? Well, right now, we've got this big controversy going on with the Supreme Court. There's an empty seat, and um, the president has decided that he is going to fill it. He has offered the name of the person that is best to fill it, and I'm not going to talk about that necessarily. It's not, you know, it's not uh, part of what we're really trying to determine here today, because we just want to think about what the Supreme Court does for us. It's like when the Supreme Court decides on some issue, that is truth, Right? No, it's not truth. When a Supreme Court decides an issue, they're determining whether something is constitutional or legal or lawful. As a matter of fact, a technical definition for them is the final arbiter of the law, the court. It's charged with ensuring the American people the promise of equal justice under the law and thereby also functions as guardian and interpreter of the Constitution. So their job is to determine whether a law that the legislature might make or some local person might do, if it makes its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, whether it is legal or lawful or it is good 
for the uh, it's good for Americans or if it is constitutional. And they do this by issuing opinions. They accomplish the, the job and what they say actually becomes law in a sense by giving their opinions on cases that come before them. They offer a majority opinion, which is the assent or agreement. And any judges who disagree with the ruling of the majority, they are called the dissenting opinion. And they might write a paper or might write why they dissent to that particular opinion. So there are nine justices on the Supreme Court, and it only takes five, just five of the nine, to determine whether something is constitutional or legal or lawful or whatever their job might be. Just five. But the other four, they may disagree with the five. So the one person, that's why it's so you know controversial, that one person who is called the swing vote, has so much power to determine the fate of millions of people with the decisions they make. With all that being said, we have to understand the Supreme Court is not determining whether something is true. They don't determine whether it's biblical, objective truth from God, if it's absolute truth. They're just trying to determine whether something is legal, if it's constitutional and Hopefully, when we make the laws that we make, they're based in some reality of truth, some formation of truth, some protection of truth. I use this illustration because I want you to realize that you are kind of your own Supreme Court when it comes to truth. We're the Supreme Court in our own lives when it comes to the absolute enlightened truth that inspires those who listen to it. We can assent with God, that means agree with him about the truth, or we can choose to dissent and offer a differing alternative truth by which we choose to live. And we do that because God has given us that choice called free will. He has done everything to present to us the way, the truth, and the life through Christ. Through the propositional truth found in Scripture, through all the stories that are there, through the principles and the patterns that are given to us, we can draw from that then the objective, absolute truth that comes from God. We can either choose to live by that truth or we can dissent and say, I know God wants me to do it that way, but I think I have a better way of doing it. And those better ways we think of doing it are called sin. We can't call them that, you know, culture. You don't want to mention that in the workplace because you might get a lawsuit filed against you for calling something sin. How do you know that's true? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I know it's a lengthy passage here but I'll try to read it with some energy. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
You, dear children, are from God and overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Believe it or not, um, there are false, John warns us here, that there are false or pseudo-prophets or foretellers. You know, what's a prophet or a foreteller? Do we have any of those around today? Some people might say no. But there are a lot of people who are pretending pseudo they think that they are foretellers because what they say is, if you don't do what I tell you to do today, this is going to happen tomorrow or next year or five years from now or 12 years from now. Can you think of an illustration in your mind of someone who recently, a politician maybe, has said that if we don't do X, then Y will happen in a short period of time? So we better do what they say we should do today. Happens all the time. And it's based upon that person thinking that they're speaking to us what is true, what is real, what is factual. The problem is, is that John warns us here that there are people who are already in the world who are false pseudo foretellers. They're leading people to a dissenting opinion of what John reveals is truth, and that truth is Christ and how Christ and how truth flows from him. How do we recognize the truth tellers from the false tellers is John's effort here. John teaches us how to recognize them by reminding us that on a basic level, fundamental level, Truth is about Jesus. Now let me explain. Truth originated in him. It is oriented around him. And it is ordained by him. So if you try to kick Jesus out of the conversation about what truth is, is it truth anymore? And John is simply saying it is not. Even if there are people telling you we don't need Jesus to discover the truth, and I'm not talking about in a religious way or even in a spiritual way. It's in a conceptual, fundamental way that flows from our worldview of how this world came to be. And Jesus says, I created this. I was right there with God, and I created this world. And if you can't understand then that everything that is true flows from that, that it is originated in him, oriented from him, ordained by him, then when any forthtelling person who comes along and tells you what's going to happen if you don't do what they say, you won't be able to recognize them because you won't be able to tell whether or not they are basing what they're saying on assent or dissent. And we're called to make these kinds of judgments every day in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, at work. We're 
charge to figure out what is true. And then if we do what is true, God promises us that he will work all things together for our good. But if we don't do what is true and we submit to those false, those pseudo-foretellers, and we do what they think is true, it will cause us to suffer. And God doesn't want that for us in our lives. Truth assents to the understanding that truth originates with Christ, is oriented around him, and it's ordained by him. It is from God. That is the spirit of truth. If it descends from this understanding and offers a differing philosophy, John just comes right out and says, it is the Antichrist, a spirit of falsehood. And John points out to us, it is our duty to test every spirit to determine if it is from God or a false idea presented as truth. That's our job. And those who are Presenting falsehoods as truth, John says, are antichrists. So let's talk about how we can recognize the spirit of truth versus recognizing the spirit of falsehood today. John wants us to recognize the spirit of truth, and he says it comes from God. And then he adds this thing, greater is the one who's in you than the ones who's already in the world. So John's making it clear that the truth that he offers is greater than the false hope or the falsehood, the false truth that people try to offer you in this world. And we might think, well, what does that look like? Is it just religious? No, it's not just religious. It can be. It's not just spiritual. It can be. It is fundamental. It's reality. It's what's good. It's what's bad. It's what's Uh, God, it's what's evil. It's that dichotomy that we're dealing with in life all the time. Rod Dreyer has written a book about, uh, based upon Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, treatise on Live Not By Lies. I was listening to him this past week, and he was offering his perspective on what's going on in the Ukraine. And he pointed out something. Uh, He says, I'm not a politician. I'm not a... Uh, a scientist, I, I'm, I observe these things, I have, uh, I'm from, the, from Europe, so I have some sense of what socialism in, is doing. And he made this observation, which I thought was important for us to hear. And that is that communism and socialism, even though it is presented as a political ideology, is not. It is a sophisticated structure of falsehood that crushes any threat against it. Let's see if we can understand that. Communism and socialism are put forth just as a political ideology, but in his experience and from what he has observed and what he has seen, how socialism has worked and how communism has worked in real-life countries, he recognizes it just as a sophisticated structure to empower false leaders who then have the ability to crush any threat that might come against them. Does that describe anyone we've been reading about here recently in the news? John says we should be able to recognize the spirit even if it comes to us wrapped in the clothing of a political lamb. 
We are responsible to pray for our leaders, to pray for our country, to pray for what's going on in our world, to pray for it every day, pray for our families, pray for our country. That's our responsibility. As we test those things that are brought to us that people say are true. We recognize the spirit of truth, what is shared with us, if it assents, and the Greek word here is homologeo, where we get our word homogenize for milk. It assents that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, it's not just that Jesus came in the flesh. We know, we talked about this last week, that John was battling this thing called Gnosticism, which was going on for a second, third century. And what they claimed was that Jesus could not have come in the flesh. It was kind of like an illusion, so to speak, because the flesh is evil, the spirit is good. And that's why they kind of got off in this whole thing is the flesh is going to do what the flesh is going to do. It's evil. So don't have to worry about that too much as long as we have this spiritual wisdom, this spiritual understanding, as we talked about last week. But what John says to us is that we cannot dismiss the whole story of the death, burial, and resurrection is that Jesus came to the flesh to save mankind from their sins. The modern-day application of Gnosticism would be to mysticize the narrative of Jesus. Maybe say, well, you know, it's a good, you know, mystical story, and it might have some, you know, spiritual components. It might mythicize the damage of sin, meaning uh, sin, sin, it's not really going to hurt us. It doesn't really uh, bother us too much. Secular culture has mythicized the damage and damnation that comes from sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, and greed. So when we see it in real life, or we might see it on the screen, it doesn't ruffle us anymore and make us think that it's sin. It's just life. Because our bodies are that way, you know, it's just like the, the excuses that we give for teen promiscuity. Well, they're going to do it anyway, so we might as well protect them in that. That's the spirit of falsehood. It's where secular culture mythicizes the damage. And it does so as long as we can continue to be mystically good spiritually. And you'll notice that culturally what happens is you'll take all these issues, and we could get into a lot of them today, don't have time, use a lot of these issues where... They take a sin, especially a sexual sin, and they make all the people who uh, commit that sexual sin mystically or you know, mystically spiritually good people because they're doing what they do because it's love. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? Love is love is love is love. But it's not love whenever it is done outside of the context of what God says is true or best for us. That's why he would do all the trouble of telling us what it was and what it is. We must assent, homologeo, to that idea that Jesus came in the flesh, that everything is oriented, originated with him, that it's about him. It's all about around Christ and our living for him. So we must listen to his words. That means we follow the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is given to us so that we know God. 
so that we listen to the truth. That's what inspires us. That's what inspires the listeners is the truth. It's John's play on word when he talks about they know God here. It's that word, the Gnosticism comes from that word gnosis, which is the basis of what John says here. They know, so they listen to God. John's saying, if you really want that special knowledge we talked about last week, you know God, you listen to him, you follow him, you accept what he says. And whoever legitimately knows listens to those who assent to the teachings of Jesus, the apostles' teaching, what we find in Scripture. And God sent his only son in the flesh as an anointing sacrifice so we could live and love through him. Everything that is written in scripture about Jesus is so that we can live and love through him. We know we love him when we love one another. He makes that clear. It invites the love. And we know we live in him when we assent to the Holy Spirit and testify that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Not only just believing it, but saying it and living it out. Actions and truth, as we talked about last week. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them, John says. Simple. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. And this is how love is made complete in us. And then he says, we become like Jesus. We're not afraid to be like Jesus in this world. Now, that's a subtle little thing, but it should be a very alarming to us that if we are embarrassed or we think that it's wrong for us to live like Jesus or not mention his name or be quiet about Jesus in certain venues or certain squares, then we're falling to this dissenting view of truth. If you look at the rest of 1 John chapter 4, it's very clear what John's talking about. Verse 9 through 21 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever loves not, does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Again, that's why we talked about last week, praying for enemies, loving them. That means we're assenting to this spirit of truth. But John also tells us what the spirit of the lie, spirit of falsehood looks like. How we recognize that, that it's coming from the Antichrist. Someone that's already in the world. Now, I know we talked about this a little bit before. There are some, you know, some scary narratives that are given about 
some big scary antichrist that might be coming someday and that the whole land and you know the 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 big battles and all that stuff might come through that but john says here on a very simple level there are antichrists already among us and they're the ones that do the damage they're the ones that actually create that spirit of falsehood that believers fall into that uh, compromises their faith. And this is how we recognize them. Second John chapter uh, 1, verse 7 through 11, John says again, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. And anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Oh, boy. The spirit of the Antichrist controls our cultural narrative. We know that. It is by design with Satan as the architect that absolutely, absolute objective truth revealed in Scripture about God and Jesus be secularized from the public square in the name of what's called separation of church and state, which don't really exist. There's a void that's left when the church hides and it's filled by progressive antichrists who say they know what is true. You don't think that they think that what they're saying is true? Of course they do. They're saying because they think it's what's best for them in the moment. It will sell whatever they're peddling to us in the moment. And they can always just put off the, you know, the the reconciliation of anything they say five or 10 or 15 years later. It's always beyond the next election, right? We sometimes think it doesn't matter. Has anybody tried to fill up their cars lately or your trucks lately? You're saying, Pastor Mike, does the price of oil or... Gasoline have to do with the absolute truth we read in Scripture? Yeah, it does. Especially if the narrative that's being offered to us is not based in truth or not based in the promise that God has given us this world and the fullness thereof. He says, take and eat. God's the one who gives us all good things. He has blessed this world with all the things that we will ever need. And yet you will listen to people who come along and say, no, we are running out of this or we're running out of that. So you better vote for me and you better do what I say. Or in five years or 12 years or whatever many years, there'll be complete chaos and, you know, everything will be falling apart. If that's true, the only reason that things will fall apart is because we believed what they've told us and we follow their advice. You think it's frustrating for someone like me or... Brother Paul, who's here, some of you remember Paul from, uh, he was a former pastor here. One frustrating things for pastors, we've been preaching about this for decades, saying this is what's going to happen. This is what God's word says is going to happen. And now that things are falling apart because we've drawn away from the truth that we find in God's word, 
The world's not coming up to us and saying, you know, you guys were right. They're doubling down. Say, no, you guys weren't right. You're wrong. We just need to drift further from them. They dissent from the biblical truth about Jesus, which means they are not God's spokesmen. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 reminds us, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For in him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here's the, here's the lesson is that if we're doing it for God in honor of him, he will give us the wisdom and the knowledge in every aspect of our life so that we live for him, through him, uh, and, f- and for him, from him, through him, for him. And when we do that, God blesses us beyond our imaginations. But we'd rather listen to people on the television, those talking heads, I just happened to catch the talk the other day because I thought there was a basketball game on. And I could endure maybe 15 seconds of it. And in that 15 seconds, it probably was more like a minute, but it seemed like an eternity. All four of the people that were there, they shared what they thought was wrong, what was right. It was a cultural thing. And everything they said started with this sentence. Well, I think yada, yada, yada. Well, I think, well, you may think that, but I think, and then who's telling us the truth? Well, it doesn't make any difference in this culture because if a person says that I think loud enough and they get enough people to believe in them or they can get enough followers or likes on social media, then we've got to listen to them because if we don't, then we might get canceled ourselves. Even if they're dissenting from the truth that everything is from God through him and for him. And God has given us all of this through his son, Jesus Christ. See, that's the spirit of falsehood that John talks about. Those people speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. What are they talking about? They're talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life as worldly viewpoints. And it's illustrated in every form of media that we see but John reminds us, 1 John chapter 2, you remember? Verse 15, these will pass away by, these are going to pass away. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You think you're some kind of fancy, and this might be for the online audience. God might be using this to speak to somebody out there. You think you're fancy because you've got a lot of followers on social media and Twitter, Facebook. You ever heard of MySpace? You may think you're all fancy because you've got all these people following you, and they think everything you say is gospel. But in 10 years, something else is going to come along that people will be using. Had this conversation with Seth the other day. Christians have this irritating tendency to take, go in and take over things. 
So when they went in and kind of took over Facebook, Facebook tried to push, but they can't uh, because there's so many. Instagram, same thing. So what happens when the spirit of truth goes into those things? Guess where the other people go? Well, they go to a different site. So if you don't like what's going on on Twitter, just fill that up with a bunch of believers talking about believing stuff all day long. You might get blocked, but you can't block all of us. Just keep talking about Jesus, lifting him up, giving him glory. Do that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you got. Chase all those dark things to a different place. Then you'll just know what's darkness. The world and its desires pass away. The spirit of falsehood always talks about from the viewpoint of the world. It will always protect lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and greed. Always from the viewpoint of the world. Absolute truth inspires the listener to live and love under the direction of Jesus Christ. It's John's message to us today. But there are many antichrists in our world pushing a different truth. They push a a subjective truth, which they can't guarantee will work, but it gives them license to sin without public scrutiny. Now, why is that important? It's because as long as the world around them accepts what they're doing, then they think it's okay. John illustrates that we have two options. That's to live and love in the truth of Christ or to try to live and love based upon a lie. Dr. M. Scott Peck wrote a book years ago called People of the Lies. Right there on the front of the bulletin is the book cover. Uh, It's a wordy book, so I wouldn't advise you to read it unless you just got plenty of time and you can get your dictionary out uh, and look up words. But in it, Dr. M. Scott Peck, he talks about what he describes as the evil people in the world, people of the lie. He encountered them along the way in his practice, and when he wrote this book, he said they were rare in numbers. But as I was reading back through his assessments and his stories this past week, it dawned on me that we now have most people who are people of the lie. They will do evil things without any restriction or guilt or shame. Not on the surface anyway, it's there. Some of the things he described back in his day would have been abnormal. And you could have even been institutionalized because some of the things that he described as evil. And yet, they're so commonplace today that if M. Scott Book wrote his book, he could probably interview your neighbor or someone you work with, and they'd fit just as well in his treatise, and I hope it wouldn't be you. Such is the consequence of us living and loving in the spirit of falsehood. We become people of the lie. And John has clearly delineated the only two options we have to live in the spirit, uh, to live in the spirit of truth or get caught up in the spirit of falsehood. Those are your only two choices. There's no in-between. And it all has to do with what we do with Jesus. Do we hide him in our churches? Do we secularize him from our public concerns? Do we make him the enemy of science? That's what the world tries to do. 
Shouldn't we follow the admonition of John to interject the life and love offered by Jesus into every conversation? That doesn't mean you have to say the word Jesus all the time, but you know what the Bible teaches about what is good, what is right, what is he commands. Honor Christ in your conversation. Season it with salt and love. Be gentle, respectful. Peck came to this conclusion in his book about the people of the lie. Maybe it will be apropos today. He says, so the methodology of our assault, scientific and otherwise, on evil must be love. This is so simple sounding that one is compelled to wonder why it is not a more obvious truth. The fact is, simple sounding though it may be, the methodology of love is so difficult in practice that we shy away from its usage. And at first glance, it even appears impossible. How is it possible, he says, to love people who are evil? Yet that is precisely what I'm saying we must do. John said it this way. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not know, does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. If you missed last week's message, please go back and listen to it. It explains some of the backstory to what we're talking about here today. We must stand up in the spirit of truth in this culture where so much falsehood is being spread. Just because on TV or it's on the internet or appears on your screen does not make it true does not make it truth just because of the supreme court of the united states of america might determine that it's legal or lawful doesn't mean it's true the only thing that makes it true is when it sets well with the story we have of christ jesus and the words of scripture that have been provided for us to guide and direct our hearts Let his word inspire you as you listen to him. And for goodness sake, stop listening to those antichrists. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today to be able to open up your word here in First John. Dig around in a little bit. Understand your truth. Understand the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood this morning. So that when we're accosted this week with messages from different places that tell us that this is good, and that's bad, and this is right, and this is wrong, we'll be able to tell because we know what is true. And if it does not flow from what we know about Christ Jesus and love that he gives us and living in truth, living according to his word, obeying his commands, then we know that it's false, especially Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, greed. We should be able to recognize those real quickly. Give us that insight, Father, that knowledge that John talks about here. It's not a special, special knowledge, but it is special that it's been given to us so that we can know certainly what the truth is, but it's for all. So help us to help others know and see this truth even 
if they're people of the lie, if they've fallen so deep in the darkness of falsehood, help us to love them right out of it as we show them by example how to live in truth. I make this my prayer in Jesus' precious name. Let all God's people say,